All right. Good morning again, everybody. Glad you're here as we continue this series. You asked for it. Like uh, the video mentioned, we polled as many people as we could at Easter and gave them the opportunity to ask any question that they wanted. It could be about any subject, culture, didn't matter, free uh, reign, whatever you wanted to ask. What is it? Now we're going to answer your most asked questions. So I'm glad you're here. If you looked at your sermon notes today, Uh, you realize that we're going to talk about the subject of sex. So it's going to be an interesting topic to say the least. However, full disclosure on the front end, if you have your kids in service today, I'm not going to be crass. I turned my filter on this morning, I promise, but I am going to be honest and I'm going to tell you what the Bible has to say. And so if you now realize that maybe you don't want your kids in service with you today, I'm not really noticing any of them. Uh, That's good. Uh, But you could have taken them back to Rhythm Kids. So I do want to share a couple statistics with you, though, uh, before we get started. You need to know, parents, that a staggering 90% of children between ages 8 and 16 have viewed pornography on the Internet. Albeit, in most cases, it was accidental. 90% is nearly every single child between the ages of 8 and 16. Average age of first internet exposure to pornography is 11. Largest consumer category of internet pornography is ages 12 to 17 of boys. Youth with a significant exposure to sexuality in the media were shown to be considerably more likely to have had intercourse at age 14. Average age a child has sex now, and I say that child word intentionally, is 16. If your kids are aged 8 or over, It's very likely that they need to be in this room with us today to understand what sex is, how God made it, and what it's supposed to be stewarded and used for. So I'm going to pray if you feel like you need to step out or or whatever the situation may be, that would be a great time to do that. Uh, But then we're going to dive into God's word this morning. So let's pray. God, we thank you for being here with us this morning. As we approach a difficult subject, God, we know that Uh, We need you to speak. Nobody has come to see or hear me as much as they have to see and hear you. God, we know that one second in your presence can radically change people's lives, and I'm praying for a change of lives today as we discuss this subject of sex. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So here's here's a question we were asked. Can I have sex before I'm married? That was the question. I've literally been asked that question probably hundreds of times between uh, youth stuff and now becoming a pastor. Uh, People all want an answer to that question. Can I have sex before I'm married? Admittedly, I asked that question when I was young too. So this has become my standard response. I no longer answer the question with a yes or no because that always entails more questions. If Well, why not? What constitutes as sex. Can I do this? Can I not do that? How close to the line can I get without actually crossing the line? And so here's what I do. I answer the question with a question. Can I have sex before I'm married? I always answer, well, why do you want to have sex? I get off. It's a great question. I get tons and tons of responses to that. Well, I feel like it. I feel like I'm in love. This is the person that I want to marry. It's our next logical step. 
because I want to know if we're compatible. That blew my mind the first time I heard that response, right? I mean, how did I know me and my wife were going to be compatible? Because she's a girl, right? It's not rocket science. I knew right then that we were going to be compatible. But why do you want to have sex? That's the question that I answer. And you know, uh, I've heard all these responses. You know what I've never heard? Because I want to honor God. Why do you want to have sex before you're married? Because I want to glorify God with my body. I've never heard that. Yet, that's what the Bible makes perfectly clear. This is one of the ways that you get to glorify God with your body and honor him. Judging by the looks on some of your faces, I'm guessing you've never heard a pastor say that before. So let me just show you this in scripture. 1 Corinthians 6.12, it reads, just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. Y'all might need to memorize some of that. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. You know the old saying, first you eat to live, then you live to eat. Well, it may be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging it with sex. Since the master honors you with a body, you didn't make you, since God honors you with a body, honor him with your body. God honored the master's body by raising it from the grave. He'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body. You wouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I should hope not. There's much more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is much a spiritual mystery as physical act. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. Some of you realize that. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all other sins. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. The bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love. For becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Honor God with your body. There it is. Honor God with your body, which would include having sex with your spouse. So you can become one. So two goals for us today want to biblically answer this question, can I have sex before I'm married? And then I want to talk about what God honoring sex actually looks like, again, in Scripture. Sound good? A couple of you are still with me. All right. Well, that's what we're going to do. I can just pray and we can be done. But I think this is going to be important. Can I have sex before I'm married? Again, why do you want to have sex? Again, it's 
tends to be an emotional, feeling-driven response. You feel like you're in love. You feel like this is the person that you're going to marry. You feel like this is the next step. You've got that love and feeling. Nobody? All right. If you're over 30, you got that joke. If you're not, I go watch Top Gun, somebody. Now, I think I've established from previous sermons that you shouldn't trust your feelings. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to you, but in the end leads to death. Like how many times have you trusted yourself and made a decision and it was horrible? I feel like I should eat this extra piece of cheesecake. I feel like I should just charge this to the credit card. I feel like taking this loan won't be that big of a deal. I feel like I should buy a cat. No, right? Those are all terrible ideas. Don't ever do any of those things. Your feelings should never dictate your decision-making, especially in huge decisions. You need to go to the Word of God. And here's why. Isaiah 55, 8 records God saying, This plan of mine is not what you would work out. Neither are my thoughts the same as yours. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In other words, you need to figure out what God has to say on this subject of sex. Rest assured, he has a lot to say. Y'all realize this was God's idea, right? Yes, this was not something we stumbled upon as human beings. You know what I'm saying? God put Adam and Eve in the garden naked with the commandment, be fruitful and multiply. Yes. Somebody's fired up about this. It's awesome. Okay. God didn't go off and make a sandwich and come back and find Adam on Eve and say, whoa, good sir. You climb off of her. This is not how I designed this to work. God made sex for his glory and our enjoyment so that two can be one, become one flesh. From the very beginning, though, there were just some boundaries. God set those boundaries because this was his idea, and his way is better and higher than our way. Here's how I want you to write it down in your notes. God's boundaries are God's blessings. God's boundaries are God's blessings. He created everything. And he realizes when you operate in this square that he has created, these boundaries that he's given us, it's going to bring you fullness of life. And when you step out of the boundary, it's where death, destruction occurs. If you brought a Bible, I want to show you this in scripture. Turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew is going to be in the New Testament portion of your Bible towards the back. Just look for some guys' names. You want the big number 19. Matthew 19, verse 3, reads like this. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, talking to Jesus. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, time out. Because this same thing that this group of men is doing to Jesus, coming to ask him questions, why, to test him, it's the same thing we as human beings like to do right now. 
We like to go and test God and ask him questions. Questions like, can I have sex before I'm married? Whatever question that you want to ask him, you do it in order to test him. You want the response that you want, not necessarily the response that God is going to give you. The same thing the Pharisees were doing here to Jesus. What's Jesus say? Verse 4, haven't you read, he replied. Now this is incredibly sarcastic. Because if you know anything about Pharisees, you know that they have the Torah memorized. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy memorized. And Jesus says, haven't you read? Don't tell me sarcasm isn't a spiritual gift. Jesus just blew it out right here. (laughs) Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. In other words, don't ever let somebody tell you sex is just physical. It's a lie from the world. The original Hebrew word, one of them for sex, is dode. It literally translates mingling of souls. You're becoming one with your spouse, spiritually and physically, in order to glorify God, because this was his idea. That's why this is our boundary. Sex between a heterosexual married couple. That's the boundary. So that, again, you become one, one with God and one with each other. Parents, the same way that you give some of your kids boundaries, God gives us boundaries. Like no parent would let their kids stick a butter knife in a light socket or something. That's insane. God says this is the boundary. When you step outside the boundary, it leads to death. Maybe this is a better example. Nobody has ever accused an architect who designs roller coasters of being a prude because he created a safety restraint bar. Right? We understand that that leads to us enjoying the ride and not dying. God does the same thing. He's created a safety restraint bar for us. Not... Yeah, I'm, my filter caught some stuff I was about to say. So you didn't have to. All right. Well, sex outside of marriage leads to your spiritual death. All sin leads to your spiritual death. So God isn't just some prude saying you can't have sex. No, he wants you to have a lot of wonderful sex. It's just, he says, it needs to be done with your spouse. When you maintain that boundary, God blesses it. Jesus said, I came so that you might have life and have it to the full. He wants you to have life to the full. He's not trying to keep anything from you. Sex being one of them. He just says, this is how it works. This is how I've designed it. This is how I've created it. My way is better than your way. You need to operate within this boundary of a heterosexual married couple. Ladies, just before we move uh, on from this text, I want to remind you of what Jesus says in verse 5. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. 
which means the prerequisite for any relationship is has he left his mother and father? Is he still living in his parents' basement eating corn dogs and playing video games waiting for mommy to finish the laundry? If so, you need to dump that fool. Give you a second to do that right now. Case any of you came with a boyfriend. But you say, Pastor, he doesn't have a job. Can't leave his mother and father. You don't know him like I do. I can change him. He's only 16. He can't get out of his parents' house exactly. Listen to me, young people. The point of dating is not to see how awesome of dates you can go on. The point of dating is to find a spouse. Thank you. I thought I had some parents in here that would back me up on this a little more than what I was being backed up on. But again, this is Scripture. God says, for this reason, man's going to leave his mother and father. And he's going to have the ability to provide for his family. Timothy talks about uh, if you do not have the means to provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. For this reason, man's going to leave. He's going to have a job. He's going to have a way to provide for you. He's going to have some career goals and life ambitions. That includes marriage. And if those are not in that man's vision right now, then you do not need to be dating. And if you're not ready to be married, you don't need to be dating. I don't care what your friends say. I don't care what the world says. This is how God designed it to work. My ways are higher than your ways. Thank you. Just to recap, can I have sex before I'm married? No. And just so we're clear, that would include heavy petting, oral sex, sexting, second base, third base, whatever it is called these days. I don't know. I've been out of the world for a long time. Biblically, you should not be doing any sexual activity that stimulates your sexual organs, period. It's designed for marriage between your husband or wife. This is the boundary that God has established. This is not Landon telling you to do anything. This is the word of God speaking truth to you right now. This is the way God designed it to work, and you need to be operating in his boundary. Again, this isn't God trying to be mean. This is God trying to give you everything you could possibly want in your life. This is the boundary, he says. They're meant to bless you. This 1 Corinthians already told us you didn't make you. God made you. So you need to glorify God with your body. Because he bought you with an incredibly high price. Cost him his life. Cost God the Father his son's life died for you so that you can enjoy this blessing and become one with God and one with your spouse. The question you should be asking is how can we honor God with sex? That should be the question you need to ask. Not, can we have sex before we're married? 
how can we best honor God with sex? That's the question you need to ask. And I want to give you a couple ways to do that. You can jot this down. First of all, God honoring sex is holy. God honoring sex is holy. It's righteous. It's different than what the world tells you. It's pure. It's holy. The quintessential book of the Bible in regards to sex, everybody wants to point to is a book called Song of Solomon. So if you're in your Matthew, turn towards the middle of your Bible to your left to Song of Solomon. Every question you could possibly want to have answered on sex is recorded for us in Song of Solomon. We'll get to that. In fact, little Jewish boys were forbidden to read Song of Solomon if they were under age 12. So if you can imagine little Jewish boys sneaking off a copy of the Bible, you know, they got their menorah all lit, covers over their head, trying to read Song of Solomon. I mean, that seems insane, but bed starts on fire, candles, all that. Anyway, anyway, filter didn't catch that. Here's what Song of Solomon says about holy God honoring sex. Chapter 2, verse 7. I adjure you, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Wait, that's what it says. Chapter 3, verse 5. Do not awaken my love until it is ready. Again, wait. I don't know what your parents told you or previous church experience told you. The message is not don't. The message is wait. Wait. Till it pleases the Lord. Which again is in the context of marriage. Going back to 1 Corinthians 6. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as physical fact. As is written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that, sex that can never become one. That's all sex outside of marriage. That will never lead you to become one. So listen closely to me. If you're objectifying women, if you're watching pornography, if you're masturbating, if you're lusting, that's not God honoring sex. You're operating outside the bounds of Scripture. And when your feelings become authoritative you render the Word of God impotent. And it has no power to change your life, which is what we should all desire, to have the best life possible. God says, you just need to submit to my boundaries. And I will bless you for that. Stop trying to justify yourself. Stop trying to pretend like it's not that big of a deal. It's wrong. You're sinning. Might I submit to you that that ends badly for you. God wants you to have sex, but it's not the only reason why you were created. And yes, it's fun, but it's not the greatest thing to life. Scripture says, wait. Just wait. It's going to be so much better if you'll just Wait, here's what's next. Jot this down. God honoring sex starts long before the bedroom. God honoring sex starts long before the bedroom. Back in Song of Solomon, chapter 4. 
This is the wedding night of the author, Solomon, King Solomon, and his bride, the Shulamite woman. Now, he's going to say some things that are like poetry in English. Men, do not use some of these on your wife, okay? It's not going to work. Don't go home and try and lay this out. It's just it's going to be weird, okay? So here we go. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Use that one, okay? That one's good. But here's what's weird. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. See what I mean? You don't want to use that one, okay? Ladies, you want your hair compared to a flock of goats? No, right? That's just weird. But back then it was amazing. It was hot. Verse 2. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes, sheep. Uh, They've come up from the washing. In other words, your breath smells good. Okay, guys, gals, make sure your breath smells good. God-honoring sex starts long before the bedroom. Brush your teeth, okay? Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one of them has lost its young. Love that. says, baby, you got all your teeth. I love it. They've got their twins. This is a different time, clearly, back then. There was no floss or whatever. I mean, it's like... Today, one of us going to marry somebody from the hills of Tennessee or something. I get no teeth. I mean, just I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Right? Listen, I put that in there because uh, my wife is from the hills of Tennessee. She has all her teeth. I was totally kidding. She has all her teeth. Anyway, your lips are like scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is the tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Women, you should memorize verse 4. Here's what he says. You hold your head up high. You're strong. I don't see that very often in today's world. Women like to hold their heads low because they understand all the imperfections in their body. Men, compliment your wife a lot. We just went through nearly five verses of compliments. He started at her head and he worked his way down. That's what you need to do, men. You need to understand that Women don't see their bodies the same way that you see their bodies. They're bombarded in culture every single day with what's wrong. And if they'll just buy this product, that will make them better. Men, you need to realize that that's what they're dealing with. You also need to realize that you're much more like a microwave and she's much more like a crock pot. You're ready to go like that. Takes her a little while to warm up. So you need to start with compliments, maybe days in advance. Encourage her. Tell her all the things that you love about her. Try complimenting her for no other reason than you love her. Non-sexual touch is what we call that. goes a long ways. Ladies, try accepting the compliment. Just say thank you. You'll notice here she didn't say, oh, I hate my goat hair. <laughs> my pomegranate cheeks are fat. No. She just took the compliment. And it was felt good to her. So take compliments when your husband gives them. 
Just say thanks. Men and women, you need to understand that your spouse is your standard of beauty, which means your standard of beauty changes over time. Your spouse isn't the tan, skinny high school spouse that you married 15 years ago. It's probably changed due to gravity and other effects. I mean, I don't know, but you need to realize that your standard of beauty has changed. You might be into formerly tan and skinny, okay, back then. Now you're into not so much that, okay, whatever it is. Your standard of beauty changes, though. That's my point. All kidding aside, whatever your spouse is right now, that's what you're into. And you encourage them, and you compliment them, and you love them regardless. Thank you. Write this down. <clears throat> God honoring sex is passionate. Not only does God honoring sex start long before the bedroom, God honoring sex is passionate. Verse 5, your two breasts are like fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. We all live in Kansas. We've all seen deer, men. How do you approach deer grazing in a field? Do you run at them screaming? <laughs> no. If you want to feed the deer, perhaps pet the baby deer, <laughs> you do not aggressively try to pounce on the baby deer. Don't grope your wife. That's what he's saying. Be passionate. Be encouraging. Be loving. Okay? That's getting weird all of a sudden. <laughs> Ladies, let me point this out to you. Lilies look a lot different than dandelions. You tracking with me? Satin looks a lot better than flannel. That's my point. Where are you at visually for your husband? I mean, all kidding aside, men are very visual, visual creatures. So it looks a little better in a lily field than a dandelion field. That's all I'm saying. Okay, here we go. Look at what's next. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. I have no idea what that means, but I know what the first part means. It means... We're going to take our time until the day breaks. We're together. He's saying, I'm not going anywhere. He's passionate. He loves his wife. I understand this is the honeymoon night, okay? This is the picture. This is the epitome. This is the pinnacle of what sex should look like. And you need to realize that it's not always going to look like that. It it might be Monday night and you say, baby, what do you got on Friday? Because my schedule is kind of full until then. You know, you might have to schedule it. I mean, honestly. Other times you're going to set the mood and candles and music and all of that. And all of that matters. I mean, your approach matters. But are you emotionally and physically present with your spouse? That's what passion is. It's not everything you see on TV. It doesn't have to be some long, drawn-out process and 
just amazing fireworks going off, all of that? Are you physically, emotionally present with your spouse? If you're not, I would contend you need to start with your spiritual relationship first. That perhaps you've lost touch with God and what God wants, and it's playing itself out in the context of your marriage. I share this with all my premarital couples in counseling. As long as you both are pursuing God, it's like a love triangle. God's at the top, you guys are on each angle. As long as you're pursuing God, a natural byproduct of that is you get closer together. And so if you're not physically, emotionally, spiritually connected with your spouse in sex, then your passion for God has probably waned. And you need to get back into your word, praying, worshiping, getting in a small group, all of those things. And start honoring God first so that God can bless your marriage in this way. Here's the last thing. God honoring sex is built on absolute trust. God honoring sex is built on absolute trust. Watch this. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak excuse me, from the peak of Sinur and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. He's saying, you have nothing to fear. You can trust me. I love you. I want to be with you. We're in this together forever. Verse 12 is huge. A garden locked is my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. In other words, She's a virgin. She's not been with a man. There's no guilt or shame being brought into this bedroom. Again, that's why it's so important for you to understand. This is the boundary. This is what God wants for you. God honoring passionate sex. He just says this is how it needs to work. I think we can all agree that there are those of us who are married, and this picture of sex sounds amazing. This is what we would want. This is what we want for us. This is what we want for our kids. It's holy. It's passionate. It's trustworthy. Unfortunately, there are many of us who I know, according to statistics, we won't be able to experience that in this way. It makes me sad because this is how God designed sex to work. And he wants to bless you with it. And he wants you to enjoy it. And he just asks that it's with your spouse. So as we close, let me give an encouraging word to some of you who maybe this isn't your story. Maybe you're not a virgin. You've sinned. You want God to forgive you. So God brought you here today to hear this. God wants to speak this into your soul. Everyone. First Thessalonians 5.23 May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. May he put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. God will make you holy and whole again if you ask him 
You simply repent of any sexual sin that you've had in your life. And this isn't just for sexual sin. This is for any sin. God wants to make you holy and whole. You notice your role in that. Nothing. God makes you holy and whole. He puts you together. Spirit, soul, and body. You simply have to trust in His Son, Jesus. And you need to stop doing any of the sin that you're currently engaged in. And it's a long process, and it's hard, and it's difficult. That doesn't change the fact this is the boundary God has placed, and He will bless you if you submit your life to Him in His authority. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word that gives us everything we could possibly need. God, I just want to pray a special prayer for those of your people here today that who, for whatever reason, have engaged in some sort of sexual sin. They want to be forgiven. I just ask that you forgive them now. That they would repent, that they would turn from this sin, that they would allow you to make them holy and whole again so that when you look down on them, you see Jesus, you see perfection. And God, I know that there are people in this room today who have been sinned against. It wasn't a willing sexual encounter. And they feel shame and dirty from that as well. God, I know the Bible promises to wash each and every person clean. That again, you will make them holy and whole and pure. God, I just ask that you encourage them. Speak life into them. That, that you see them differently maybe than they even see themselves. That you see them through the lenses of Jesus because of everything that he has done. God, we thank you and praise you for this wonderful free gift of sex that's got to be stewarded in the context of marital intimacy. God, I'm sure there's hurt marriages here that aren't experiencing this the way that you intended it to be. So God, I just ask that you encourage them. Whatever sins in their lives that's keeping them close to you, I ask you to help them repent of that. Draw near to you so that they can draw near to one another. Most of all, God, we thank you for your gift of salvation through Jesus. And it's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen.